tonight, though. So make sure that you do join us tomorrow if you're just looking for Tim. But don't worry, we have two hours of good sports talk coming up here. There's some big-time news in Major League Baseball basically just broke in the last uh, half hour or so. So we're going to get into that. There's going to be a lot of baseball talk tonight. We're getting into that time of year where the NBA Finals are over. Stanley Cup is just uh, just about wrapping up. Football hasn't quite been there, but there's always good information. So we're going to get into a lot of baseball. But guys, we do have a Game 6. And we have a Game 6 where this series for the Stanley Cup looks very, very, very different than it did after really Game 1. I mean, since then... Tampa Bay has seemed to have figured out the Avalanche's speed. They seem to kind of have figured out the game plan. I asked before the series began, myself and Tim Mongosby sat here, and we asked you guys to write into us, write into Twitter, and I said, what would you do if there's a game six in Tampa? Are you betting against Vasilevsky? And then I said, what happens if there's a game seven? Do you bet against the hometown Colorado? Or do you bet against Vasilevsky? Because it all seemed to be about Vasilevsky. But we'll get into that. I'm going to ask you guys again. Give us a call, 876-1340, 876-1340. You can always write me over at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter as well, Tom Barton Sports. So we will get into hockey. I want to get into that in our number two, only because baseball is going on right now. I have a couple of scoring updates and some breaking news that we will get into. I also want to get into a rough subject. It's a rough subject because my co-host, is an Angels fan. My co-host is a guy that I bought an Otani jersey for, for Christmas. And I have to kind of put a hole in the Otani is the greatest of all time bubble. Even on a night where he had the second highest exit velo, I'm going to pop that bubble a little bit. We'll get into that. Also have a couple of thoughts on the NBA draft and Deshaun Watson's case is coming up. So a lot to talk about, lots of things. We're going to go in whatever direction that you guys like to go in. I know, look, sometimes you guys don't like to call. You don't want to be a part of the show that way. No problem. Twitter is absolutely your friend. You guys know I love the uh, Twitter interaction during the show. I try to answer it as the show is going on. So we'll get into it again. It's at Tom Barton Sports or 876-1340. So we'll get into it. I'm not going to bury the lead here, guys. I said that we have things going on in Major League Baseball. Let me give you the scoring updates. Middle of the eighth inning, the Angels are down 5-3. The bullpen really just was terrible. I know the Otani home run was a blast. Second highest exit velo of the year. Uh, It was like 120 miles per hour. Kurt Suzuki also with a home run there, but not enough because the Angels bullpen, which is now taxed at this point in the season with Loop and Tapera, they walked in a run and then things just unfolded. Mariners lead that one 5-3 going to the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Five, six, seven up there. So there's a chance Otani won't even get up in the ninth. I'll keep you up to date there. Tigers are up 6-3. They were down in this game. And uh, what a fantastic catch by Riley Green. They're up 6-3 over Arizona in the bottom of the ninth. And it looks like that one's just about over. Uh, Gregory Soto is in with two outs on uh, Luplo. So that looks pretty much over Tigers with a nice road win. They only have nine road wins on the year. Nine road wins on the year. Looks like they're going to close out a road win there. And in the middle of the ninth, Philadelphia does leave San Diego, lead San Diego 4-2. to two. Philly playing real well tonight. It's going to the uh, bottom of the ninth inning. Voight, Mazzara, and Kim will be up for the Padres. But I have to tell you, the big news of the day here is Bryce Harper was pegged in this game. He was hit in this game by Blake Snell in the finger broken thumb, Bryce Harper, 
is out with a fractured left thumb. This was pretty huge. Uh, first of all, Bryce Harper was furious about the call, about screaming out and calling out Blake Snell, I should say, screaming at him, you know, you meant to do that. The Philadelphia Phillies are trying to get back in this thing, guys. The Philly is trying to get back into this thing. I, I don't know, and I don't think that they're going to be in a, a serious pursuit of the New York Mets, no matter what happened. I, I Before the year, I told you guys I did like Philly. I've liked Philly for a couple of years. But they're nine and a half games back. The New York Mets are the best team in the National League. New York Mets are the second best team in all of baseball, wins-wise. They are rolling right along. And the New York Mets, oh, by the way, they're going to get Scherzer and DeGrom back at some point over the next uh, month, month and a half, right? I mean, Scherzer might come back next week, and then DeGrom, they're saying, you know, has to ramp it up, but he might, it might be about a month. So you look at the New York Mets, I go, okay, I don't think they were catching them. But you take Bryce Harper out of the mix, you can say goodbye to just about everything. I mean, Philly was right in the thing. Look, Philly was only two games over 500, but they're four and a half games back of Atlanta for a wild card spot. They're sitting there three and a half games back of St. Louis and Milwaukee. They're sitting there, um, you know, about seven games back of San Diego for the wild card spot for, for that wild card and, and one and a half behind San Francisco. So, I mean, they were in this thing. And when you have Nola and you have Wheeler, you are in this thing, okay? Without Bryce Harper, you're not. Philadelphia has a lot of problems. You could get by with the starting pitching. I think Wheeler is an ace. I think Aaron Nola is a very good number two, and he's probably a one on most squads. I think Zach Eflin is a perfectly fine number three, and they have a little bit of depth. I'm fine with their starting pitching. Their bullpen has problems. Now, Brad Ann has stepped into the closer's role. Brad Ann has got about a 2-1-4 ERA this year. He's got two saves, seven holds. It took him a little while to kind of come to the conclusion that, okay, maybe he should be the closer, but it looks okay. I don't like their bullpen. Sir, oh, by the way, uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez is fantastic in the cl- in the setup role right now. He could be a closer. So they have options. I'm not saying that it's a great bullpen, but they have options in the bullpen. I don't mind their starting pitching. My thing is that their lineup is just consistently underachieving with the exception of Bryce Harper, who Bryce Harper was having another MVP season. You could argue and tell me that he didn't earn the MVP last year. And when you look across the way and you're seeing Otani and Vladimir Guerrero, yeah, sure, I get it. Guy's batting 320. He's on pace for about 120 runs scored. He's on pace for about 35 home runs. He's on pace for 110 RBIs. He's on pace for 25 steals, just about under 25 steals. 987 OPS. That's MVP numbers. Now you take those MVP numbers out of the lineup, you have a problem. You have a serious problem. And the problem is that Bryce Harper is a guy right now uh, that is carrying this team. JT Realmuto is simply not holding up his end of the bargain when you're talking about what he should be. He should be the second best hitter in that lineup, and he's not that. Reese Hoskins is a solid hitter. Solid isn't getting it done. Didi Gregorius, all right, he's he's not bad. No power this year at all. Bryson Stott, we, we know his problem. What is he, batting 170 and he's been benched now? He's young. Alex Bohm, not living up to quite his expectations. I could go down the list. There's potential there, but I could go down the list. Up and down the list of Philadelphia, and I could say their problem is is that their hitters are, are all just just about not doing it. 
they're all just a little under where they need to be. They're all just that that point, right? They, every one of their hit is with the exception of Bryce Harper. So Philadelphia is a team that you're going, all right, I see something here. I'm looking at what they have to do, uh, but they're just not quite there. Well, now you take out Bryce Harper and you have to ask yourself, what do you do? You have to ask yourself, if you're the Philadelphia Phillies, what do you do? Because look, Philadelphia is in a win-now move. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The Phillies are in win-now, win-now, win-now. I mean, we know that. That's exactly what they need to be. So what do you do? Well, a lot of the conversation that I had designed for this weekend, to have it with Tim, to have it at SGN tomorrow morning on my Sports Garden Network show, Want to Bet Weekend Edition. I'm going to have that tomorrow morning. With what I have there, it was going to be about the trading deadline. Who's available? Who are we looking at? And inevitably, everyone's looking for bullpen help, of course. And inevitably, everybody's going out there and they're looking for starting pitching, of course. And you look to Oakland and you look to the bad teams. The the, the Frankie Montas is going to be available. We know that. Um, but who can who can they go get? Uh, Luis Castillo in Cincinnati is going to be available. And we can delve into who's going to be available. And I would like to do that. But I think right now you have to ask yourself, is Philadelphia willing to go out there and make that move? You look at Colorado and a guy like Charlie Blackman could be available. And I think that they could get Charlie Blackman. I don't want to say on the cheap, but, but yeah, for a song, I'm sure you look at some veterans around the league and who could be that guy. Now everybody wants to pull Joey Votto away from Cincinnati. First of all, it's out of position for Philadelphia. It's not going to help. And, He's not a guy that really has ever shown an interest to in leaving Cincinnati. What about Ian Happ? I mean, is Ian Happ a name for the Chicago Cubs that could fill in? Yeah, Ian Happ makes a little bit of sense. You could go sky high and, and think that you're going to nab somebody from Washington or Miami, but I think those numbers are going to be a little expensive. Same thing with Oakland. They don't really have anybody that you actually want. Baltimore has Cedric Mullins, who will be up for a contract. Is Baltimore going to be – I mean, are they going to – give away their guy that was their all-star last year? No, Philly's going to have to come with a package. And then you look at a team that I think is the obvious fit, which is Kansas City. Because remember, Detroit still thinks that they're in this thing. They're 11 and a half games back, but they're just getting their superstars up, uh, their future stars. Riley Green's coming back. And, you know, they, they still think they have a push in them. I don't think they do, but they do. And they don't want to hurt their core because of what, what's going on. Well, Kansas City is an interesting scenario. Because the first thing that happened, look, this only happened, so I'm kind of talking out loud here. This only happened, uh, you know, within the last hour. Bryce Harper goes down. You hope he doesn't need surgery. But guys, look, reality is this. It's a two- to three-month injury. Let's say he comes back quickly. We're sitting here, and it's June 26th. Let's say he comes back quickly, and he's back in the middle of August, which is very, very quickly. It should be the end of August. Well, let's say he comes back quickly, and it's the middle of August. I mean, is Philly buried? Is Philly completely out of this thing? What do you think he means to that team? Philadelphia is about 500, right? They're going to go three games over 500 tonight. They just won the game. That game's over, by the way. So they go three games over 500. Here you go. Boom. How much are they going to be down by the time late August comes? We'll, we'll say... August 15th, August 18th, August 20th, right? By the time that comes, and let's say Bryce Harper comes back, how far buried are they going to be 
in the wild card race. I think they clearly fall under 500. So you need somebody to fill that void. And I look at Kansas City. And I say in Kansas City, you know, everybody's going to obviously point to the Salvador Perez bandwagon. But with JT Real Muto, that, that doesn't work out so well. But Whit Merrifield can. And he's not having a great year. But I don't think you're going to ask for too much. Kansas City has guys in the minor leagues ready to contribute right now. Nick Prado is the future there at first base. Maybe the best defensive first baseman that we've seen in a long time in the minor leagues. I know it's minor leagues. I know it's only first base, but he is. Vinny Pascantino is going to come up. He's going to be their, their new DH. Forget about Salvador Perez. Forget about Carlos Santana. They're not part of the future plans. Bobby Witt is. Nick Prado is. Melendez is. You know, th- this is. And Pascantino. That's the Kansas City core. So if they could go out and get somebody else, right? Now, they, they have their pitching. So who can Philadelphia kind of offer? Well, that's sort of one of their problems. The Philadelphia farm system is not very good. Uh, the Phillies farm system is, is not going to be up to that level. So you look at it and you go, okay, who's their top prospects? And would they be willing to give up a top prospect to sort of hang in there? Right? Would they give up a top prospect to sort of hang in this thing uh, while you wait for Bryce Harper to get back? Or are they going to just hope for the best? Now, here's what would tell you that we know for a fact they think they have a chance. They know they have a chance because they fired their manager when he wasn't producing. So they're not going to get rid of Bryce and Stott. <clears throat> His value is as low as it's possibly been. Kansas City Royals certainly don't need a shortstop with Bobby Witt there. Maybe play second base, but I don't think that's going to be the thing. Micka Bell is somebody that everybody wants. Big time arm. Or do they give up their number one prospect? Andrew Painter, maybe their new best pitching prospect. Do they give up one of those top three prospects? Probably not. You look down the road and you go, a guy like Logan Hope, probably not that. You know, he's a catcher. Hans Kraus, maybe you're getting into that. Luis Garcia, another shortstop. It's a problem. So they have pitchers and shortstops. You go to a guy like maybe Jalen Ortiz. You know, he's got some pop. Is that somebody that Kansas City is really going to go drooling over? I don't think so. So it's very difficult to find an immediate match. And that was the first question that was asked. So for me, yeah, Kansas City makes a little bit of sense. You're going to go dig into the Cincinnati situation. Maybe an Ian Happ makes a little sense. But remember the names that I just brought up. Who is worth one of these players? And then I go back to a Charlie Blackman. I think Charlie Blackman makes a lot of sense. Blackman's having a perfectly fine year. Blackman is a guy that obviously benefited earlier in his career from the Colorado Rockies and and what they play. But since then, he's developed his game. He's an older guy. So you don't have to worry about Charlie Blackman, okay, coming in and and being a disruption. I think he's going to be perfectly fine. And you can play him all over the field. The guy has played all over the outfield. So even when Bryce Harper comes back, takes over his regular position, well, now Charlie Blackman can roam. He can play a little DH left field, maybe throw him in center field for a couple of games if you need him there. Colorado makes a little bit of sense. And I just said, all that Philadelphia has is pitching and shortstops. Well, Colorado right now doesn't need a shortstop. They got this kid Trovar coming up in the minor leagues and you got Brendan Rodgers there. I know he plays short in second base. Okay. So who do you have? You got pitching. And that's what Colorado needs desperately. That's what Colorado has always needed desperately. So I think that that can be a match. And I think that what I'm talking about now 
is going to be on the conversation of everyone's lips very, very quickly. But I do believe the asking price will go up as soon as we hear about Bryce Harper. If Bryce Harper's out the two to three month, normally you break a finger, it's a two to three month process. Like I said, let's give him, let's give him the, the early way, two months. He's back in the middle of August, <clears throat> five weeks, we'll say, you know, six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it is. Back in the middle, late to August. Okay, well, that asking price, Philadelphia's going to go, okay, you know, can we get by? Can we can we scrape by? Maybe we'll get somebody, you know, smaller. Maybe we can get somebody. Okay, Bryce Harper's out for the year, guys. And you're in win-now mode. And you've already fired your manager in win-now mode. And you have Nola. And you have Wheeler. You have Eflin right now. And you have the bullpen that you have because this bullpen won't last next year. Right? Brad Hand's gone next year. Corey Knubel's a one-year deal, Right. You have things in place. JT Rulamoto is not getting any younger, right? You have things in place right now to make a push. And I'm not saying it's a push to the championship, but Philadelphia feels like we get into the we get into the, the ring and we get into the playoffs and we're throwing Nola and Wheeler 1-2 or Wheeler and Nola 1-2. We got a shot at this thing. But if Bryce Harper's out for the year and he needs surgery, Bryce Harper's not going to make it back for the playoffs. Does Philadelphia fold shop and say, nope, we're done for the year? Let's sell off assets? Do they go all in that way on a year where they fire their manager? Or do they double down and they go absolutely nuts? And they say, look, we got to win this year. So let's trade a Micah Bell, right? Let's go trade this Bryson Stott that's sitting out here contributing at times. Let's go crazy. Because we've got to win now, even without Bryce Harper. You know, you got to know the ownership mentality. And I think that they've told us their game plan is to go all in. But I think going all in stops if Bryce Harper is out for the rest of the year. If he's out for two months, I think Philadelphia is going to be aggressive. They're out for two months. I think Philadelphia might be the first chip to fall in what I expect to be a good trading deadline and a trading frenzy here. If he's out for the two months, we'll say, if that's the report that comes back. But if that's not the report and he needs surgery, it's all about the surgery. If he needs surgery on that thumb and he is out for the year, I think Philadelphia might just close shop. And I think Philadelphia might very quickly turn around and blow this thing up. And when I say blow this thing up, I mean absolutely everyone's on, on the table. Everyone. And I, I, I mean everyone. I'm not talking about just Gene Segura and D.D. Gregorius and, and you know, uh, maybe a guy here that, no, 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 no. I'm talking about everyone. You want to call about J.T. Rilamoto and you take on his contract? We'll talk. Obviously, Brad N. Obviously, Corey Knubel. Those guys are out there. You want to talk about your ace, Zach Wheeler? Let's talk. You want to talk about Aaron Nola, a guy we built this franchise around? We'll talk. I think that's where Philadelphia could be. If Bryce Harper's out, and he's out for the year, the Philadelphia Phillies could be a massive, massive sell job. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do, we'll get into more Major League Baseball. I'll give you the finals of those games, get into everything that happened today right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. All right, guys, welcome back. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here. Sitting here for the next two hours, I'll take you. We're talking about a lot of Major League Baseball tonight. A lot of Major League Baseball, uh, not only because I wanted to get into some of the trading um, 
necessities that teams are going to have. I don't want to see say rumors, trading necessities that teams are going to have, but also because we did have a huge injury tonight. Bryce Harper, uh, that's it, fractured his finger. There's going to be more tests to find out if he needs surgery. Big, big, big blow to the wild card chase of the Philadelphia Phillies. Big blow to the pennant chase for the Phillies as well, which I don't know if they were really in anyway, but Phillies do win that game. And there, there's always that. Uh, guys, I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. I've been doing this for, uh, I don't know, about 11 years. So if I still have to introduce myself, it's rough. But listen, I still want you guys to jump on and make some money with me. For less than $100, you get every single play that I give out at TomBartonSports.com. It's not really a tout service. I don't upgrade. I don't do commissions. I don't have packages. Uh, look, I just have consistently won for 10 years. I put my plays up, and you guys get your plays. I went 2-0 today. Great. Did I have heavy favorite? Yeah, I had a heavy favorite. I had another favorite that wasn't that heavy. Yeah, that's what I do. I'm not sitting here telling you that, you know, I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm just going to make you consistent profit. Every single month, I'm going to make you a profit at TomBartonSports.com. I also want you guys to do me a favor and go check out Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter um, as well. You can interact with me there. 876-1340 is the phone number here. And go check out Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube as well. Anybody that wants to listen to me more, um, uh, look, we have the podcast, Believe in Betting, and the podcast, of course, Wagering Week, as well as everything I do for SGN Network, Sports Garden. All right, let's get back into some of the trades that that might happen. Well, first, let me give you some of the finals here um, because I didn't want to tell you. Yeah, Philly won 4-2. That's a final. Tigers held on 6-3, like I said, and we still have one game in progress Trying to hold on here. Mariners, Angels. The Mariners are up 5-3, bottom of the ninth inning. Eric Swanson is trying to close this out for the Mariners. Uh, Ward is up with one man on, and he's got a one-on-one count. So I will keep you up to date with that. I know that that Tim Unglesby, uh, HW Sports over on Twitter, Tim Unglesby has been putting out his plays. He's being a handicapper. And look, Tim's been a handicapper for a while. He just hasn't been really pushing his picks. Uh, but he's been putting out his plays free on Twitter, and he's absolutely dominating. So he did give the Angels tonight. I know he's sitting on pins and needles thinking, can the Angels come back? You want to get to the middle of the order. You want to get to that, you know, Trout Otani. And now you got Ward up, who's having a fantastic season as well, by the way. Ward should be going to the All-Star game. We can get into the All-Star game, which is a farce anyway. Uh, we can get into that if we need to as well. But I'll keep you up to date there. And as I say, that Ward just made out. So the Angels' hopes rest on the shoulders of Mike Trout. He's one for four tonight with a double. He is up man on second. Mike Trout is up to try to tie the game or try to extend the game and get Otani in that bat. All right. So let's talk about um, some of the the needs that teams might get. But before we do that, I think we have to worry about we're 70 games in, 70 between 70 and 73 games in or so, <clears throat> just about the halfway point. Right? By the time I talk to you guys next week, uh, most of these teams will be basically next Sunday, they'll be at like the 81-game mark. That's exactly halfway. It's never the all-star break. Don't ever think that. So they're about halfway. I think it's perfectly acceptable at this point for us to take stock take stock into what teams matter and what teams should be buyers or sellers. You know, the Yankees should be buyers. I don't know if they need to be, right? But they should be buyers. 
They are all over the trade rumors. Well, they should be. Boston has come back from the dead. And I said this. I said, look, you know, when Boston was dead, we'll say, I said maybe they buried themselves for the division, but Boston came all the way back. Ten games over 500 now, guys. Boston's going to be a buyer. Toronto should be a buyer. Tampa Bay should be a buyer, even though they don't often buy. Baltimore should be a seller. Minnesota, buyer. Cleveland's an interesting scenario. We all believe Cleveland will be one of the bigger sellers the game back. I don't know if they're buyers, though. And, and that's the thing. I don't know if they are buyers. Chicago White Sox should be buyers because they should be in the buy now phase. Detroit, they're not going to be buying anything. You know, they're going to kind of let their young kids go. And Kansas City should definitely be a seller. Houston, buyer. Texas Rangers, probably buyers. The Angels, they have to be buyers. Five games under 500. You can't waste Otani and Trout's career. By the way, Trout just got on. So Otani is up now. He's already got a blast tonight. Like I said, one of the biggest exit velos in the league. He's now got first and second, two out, game on his shoulders. So they have to be a buyer. Seattle is six games under 500. Do not look at what Seattle did last year, guys, and be the, the mark. I think they're perfectly content with not making the playoffs this year. I mean, obviously, they want to. But watching these kids develop, and you see Julio Rodriguez develop, you know Jared Kalanick will be back up. Logan Gilbert pitching tonight looked good. Seattle, I don't think they're going to be a buyer, but they're certainly not a seller. And the Oakland A's are one of the biggest sellers out there. So in the American League, I mentioned a ton of buyers, right? I mentioned, you know, nine, ten buyers. But really only three obvious sellers. Baltimore, Kansas City, and Oakland are the only really selling teams over the National League. Mets, Atlanta, buyers. We just talked about Philly. Could become a massive seller. Could become a massive buyer. Miami will sell but not as aggressively as I think we think. And Washington, they will sell. St. Louis, Milwaukee, buyers. Pittsburgh, Chicago, Reds, all sellers. Dodgers, San Diego, San Francisco, buyers. Arizona, Colorado, sellers. So you're going to get most of the selling from the National League. Colorado, Arizona, Cincinnati, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Miami, and Washington, all sellers. And then you have Philadelphia. So you have to take kind of a a stance of what are we expecting? Who's going to be the aggressive team? And by the way, Otani made out, Seattle just won. So who's going to be the aggressive team? Who's going to be the teams? And who's really going to be offered? That's really what you're looking at. There are some teams here, yeah, they might get some decent offers, but who are they Who are they asking for back? Remember last year, Luis Castillo was on the trading block for the Cincinnati Reds, which he's a hot name again. And it was said that uh, they asked the New York Yankees, who were interested in Luis Castillo, they asked the Yankees for Glaber Torres. He basically got laughed out of the building. Well, the Yankees are right now looking at Castillo again. The talks are there. Cincinnati wants to rid themselves of contract. We know that. Cincinnati is a terrible team right now. Their owner's a jerk. We heard what he basically told the fans to go shove it earlier in the season. Castillo's not a free agent until 2023, so there's not a real push to have to sell him. He's back in the news. And we've heard a lot of teams looking in on him, and now it's the New York Yankees again. And we know they've already had discussions about Luis Castillo. And we also know that the Reds have been seen scouting the minor leagues and scouting Warren, who's a pitcher for the Yankees. He's not going to get it done, okay? You're going to have to include one of the big names. The thing is, is that the New York Yankees have big names. Now, Kyle Farmer's a pretty good shortstop right now. Oh, and he's putting 
up tremendous numbers since June began, but he's not the future shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. The Yankees have plenty of shortstops. Now, they're not going to give up a Volpe for him, but could they give up a Peraza? Very potentially. Very potentially. So the Yankees are now sitting there, and you go, well, why would the Yankees need to be involved in this? Well, the Yankees should be involved in a trade because, let's be honest, the New York Yankees, they have the best, I mean, the absolute best ERA in baseball. But how often do these guys stay healthy? They just don't. You know, you have Tyon, who doesn't stay healthy. You have Luis Severino, who you can see doesn't throw a lot of innings and, and threw almost no innings the last couple of years. You have uh, Nestor Cortez, who's never thrown more than 112 innings per year. It's very rare that a five-man rotation stays healthy, and you have history there. So they're looking at Luis Castillo, and you with this kind of lead, you could go to a six-man rotation and keep people healthy. The Yankees have what it takes to go get a Luis Castillo, but the asking price last year was Glaber Torres. Last year, at this time, we didn't know that Torres was going to be kind of the odd man out. No, it was Glaber Torres. A lot of people thought that he was the face of the Yankees moving down the road. He was going to be the future. Some people believed that was the asking price then. Where's the asking price going to be now? I mean, you're leading with Volpe. You're leading with Volpe Plus. And the Yankees do have a lot of arms down there. Waldachek's one, and then Wazinski. I mean, they have arms. They have shortstops. They have what it takes to get this deal done. But does Cincinnati really want to trade Castillo? Or is this a situation where Castillo is being dangled? Is this a situation where Castillo is being, okay, let's find out who's going to overpay for him. Who's going to be the guy that goes absolutely crazy for him? That's really what you're looking at. Because, you know, Cincinnati's looking at a guy, oh, okay, well, yeah, he could be a top 25 prospect, but if he is, he's, he's barely inside the top 25, and we'll warn. They're going to ask for something else. So who else would want him? Well, who wouldn't want Luis Castillo? New York Mets are certainly a team that has looked in on him as well. New York Mets don't really have the farm system to offer that. Again, what are we offering? What are we asking? The Dodgers, the Padres, San Francisco all have to be in the mix. But when you start asking about what is the asking price, if the asking price was Glaber Torres, I think a team like the Angels makes some sense. The Angels are a starting pitcher away. Joe Adele is someone that needs a new organization, and Joe Adele, uh, in a lot of scout circles, is still a top name. He makes some sense. The Toronto Blue Jays are another one. That's another team that has a pretty deep farm system at the same sort of positions. They got a lot of shortstops down there at the same short, so a lot of catchers. You could offer the Cincinnati Reds. You know, they don't need a catcher because they got Stevenson. You could offer the Reds a shortstop and an arm. You could offer the Reds something if you're Toronto. So I think Luis Castillo is that big name that is going to kind of shift things around for who goes where and what, what we're talking about. You look at the – we're going to stay with the New York Yankees here. We're going to continue with the Yankees, and, and Joey Gallo almost has to be out of town. A lot of people are saying, you know, look, you think that you can't get rid of Joey Gallo, but a lot of front office executives are asking for Joey Gallo. Now, they don't want to take on the contract, and they probably don't want to give the Yankees anything but a bag of balls back. It's the same thing kind of with Andujar. Miguel Andujar made it very well known that he wants to leave New York. He wants to trade. He wants to trade. He wants out. Well, Miguel Andujar has now lessened his trade value. So the Yankees have pieces to kind of dump on people if they are willing to deal one of their big pieces. They have 
shortstops upon shortstops in that system. Anthony Volpe is their guy. They dabbed him as the guy, although Oswald Peraza, in many scouting circles, is the better player. They picked up this kid, Arias, who's 17 years old, that is supposed to be the second coming, and Trey Sweeney is also a shortstop, although they're saying he's going to be a third baseman. You have, besides even them, you have middling prospects. In the top 15, you can argue they have five shortstop prospects, and Falefa is not doing anything at the major league level. So, the Yankees, who have the best record in baseball, the New York Yankees, who are sitting there with 52 wins, the New York Yankees with a 722 winning percentage, have some worries. They have some concerns, and they will be active during the trade deadline. Is it going to be Luis Castillo? Well, that seems to be the hot rumor. But they're just as likely to bring up the guys that they're going to trade. And that's the thing. If you lose faith, in Kiner Falefa, which the Yankees are starting to do, he hasn't looked that great defensively. He has no power to speak of. Now, he's getting hot in the last couple of weeks, but he's not what they envisioned. Neither is Donaldson. But you can turn around and put DJ LeMayu at third base and be okay. You don't have that shortstop. You just don't have that fill-in shortstop. You're not going to put Gleyber Torres back there. So do you bring up a Peraza? It's not Volpe time, who you've dubbed as the guy. Who do you think Cincinnati's asking for? So you look at a team like the New York Yankees in Cincinnati, I, I, I think that the match is for headlines. I think the match makes a little sense on paper, but I know what the asking price is. I would be banking on Toronto, maybe Boston. I'd really be looking at a team, if you really want to go there, I'd really be looking at a team that you go, okay, what do they need? And it's, it's the Angels. Joe Adele for Luis Castillo makes all the sense in the world for both clubs. If the Angels really have to make that push, they just lost again tonight. The Los Angeles Angels are now six games under 500, 13 games back of Houston. I don't know if they are willing to make that push. All right, let's take a quick timeout. When I come back, talk about more trade rumors. Frankie Montas, David Robertson, a couple of bullpen guys, and what bats are out there? I mentioned one earlier. I want to dive deep into that bat that could be available. All that and more right after this, right here on E-Wave Sports. Now back to E-Wave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back to E-Wave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com sitting in here. We are talking Major League Baseball. We are talking trade possibilities because tonight Bryce Harper goes down, hit in the finger, fractured finger. He's going to be out an extended period of time. I mean, the initial diagnosis with a fractured finger, you just can't swing a bat. The initial kind of response is it's a two or three month injury, depending if he needs surgery or not, could keep him out for the year. And the Philadelphia Phillies went from who I believe was going to be one of the more aggressive teams in buying to a very potential selling team. I believe that the Phillies are a team that absolutely should have been looking to make some moves that absolutely showed us all when they fired their manager uh, before even midseason that they are aggressive. They want to be aggressive. They are in win-now mode. They know they're in win-now mode. And I thought that they would be one of the more aggressive buyers out there. Bryce Harper's down. They might be a seller. And they might blow this whole thing up. They may go absolutely nuclear. So we did talk about Luis Castillo, who seems to be uh, on the rumor mill uh, just every single year for the last couple of years. Well, so is Frankie Montas. 
And Frankie Montas is going to fit the bill for all those same teams. Frankie Montas has really good numbers. The A's are going to absolutely unload everyone, and why shouldn't they? I told you guys before the year, the A's were going to be the worst team in the league. I told you to bet the under on the A's for the team total this year. They are atrocious. They have eight wins at home total. Eight total wins at home, the Oakland A's. You're, you're almost halfway there. They are going to, they're going to win less than 20 games at home for the year. They might go nuts and win less than 15. Their one differential is 109. They're atrocious, man. This is a terrible team. So they're going to trade Frankie Montas. And by the way, years past, they used to be a terrible... When they went through their doldrums of being bad, they always had really stacked farm systems. They always had farm systems that you're like, well, here they come. You know, there's a couple of guys. Oh, oh, here we go. Their farm system is pretty bare right now. They've whiffed on some guys like A.J. Puckies who had an injury history. They, they have not done a good job drafting. So you look at the A's and you go, who are they going to unload? My question is, who won't they? Paul Blackburn's an arm. Cole Irvin's an arm. Both of them should be gone. Frankie Montas is the guy everybody's going to want, obviously. Lou Trevino hasn't had a good year. He might be gone. Sean Murphy absolutely might be gone. They would pay somebody to take Elvis Andrews off that team. They would pay somebody to take Jed Lowry, Tony Kemp. They would they would drive a bus to have somebody go take Seth Brown off that team. Raymond Laureano, that's a guy that everybody seems to want as well. 27-year-old center fielder. So the A's are going to be movers and shakers here. All the teams I just mentioned for Luis Castillo, I think they're going to go in for Luis Castillo. But don't think that Frankie Montas is a consolation prize. I, I think he's going to fit real well with some team. And he's not going to be around for very long. Teams that are looking for starting pitching, they don't usually wait until the deadline. You know, a starter is not usually that guy that at the midnight hour. Now, it does happen, and it's happened in historic fashion. But usually it's not going to be a starter. Usually the starters are not going to be the, the guy that you go, oh, wait, oh, oh, I can't believe what they pulled off. Frankie Montas, you have to think, where does he fit? And and then my answer is, where doesn't he fit? I mean, he is a young fireballer that could give you innings. He's everything that Luis Castillo really is, probably at a discounted price. You're talking about Gleyber Torres. You're not, they're not going to go ask for somebody like that. So I expect him to be on the move. How about some relievers that are going to be on the move? Daniel Bard makes a lot of sense. He's got an expiring contract for the last place Rockies. He's pitched really well, okay? Um, since he's returned to baseball, I remember, he went away for, for five, six years. He's 37 years old. He's got, he's got under a two ERA. He's got under a one whip. He's throwing a 98 mile per hour. He, he's good out there. Now, he does have history with Boston, right? And the Red Sox could probably use a reliever. Daniel Bart to Boston makes a ton of sense. A ton of sense. We go back to a team like like the Mets, and you go, no, their bullpen's pretty safe. Atlanta's had their ups and downs, but generally speaking, Atlanta's okay. Milwaukee's pen is, is rock solid. St. Louis's pen is pretty good. The two teams that are first place, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees, they've dealt with a lot of injuries. Daniel Hudson just went down for the Dodgers. Blake Trinan, who was supposed to be their number one setup guy, their number one setup guy was supposed to be Blake Trinan. He went down with an injury. 
early. He hasn't really pitched all year. Daniel Hudson filled that role as their eighth inning guy. He just went down, probably season ending with an ACL. And you've got to start worrying about Craig Kimbrell if you're the Dodgers. Not exactly the guy that you want uh, to be on the mound right now. He's got over four ERA. Greater role has not looked great this year. Are you going to leave it up to Vizia? No. Now, I don't think Daniel Bard's going in division. You look at the New York Yankees. They lost a lot of their help. First of all, Chapman's done. Um, but you got Clay Holmes there. Okay, he's he's looked out a little. But you lost Green. You you lost uh, Britain before the year. They've lost some uh, some big-time arms. Johnny Lasagna. I mean, they lost some big-time arms. But Boston makes sense. David Robertson. How about you want to go back to a little bit of history? Let, let, let's put it back. David Robertson's got about a 2 ERA. David Robertson it, it has the lowest average on breaking balls in the major leagues. David Robertson looks good after Tommy John surgery. David Robertson has a one-year deal with the Cubs. The Cubs are absolutely selling, and the Cubs are not hiding the fact that they are selling. They are selling all day. David Robertson has some history with the New York Yankees. That makes some sense, too. And then you have Jorge Lopez. Uh, Lopez is the weird guy here because the Orioles can keep him. He's signed for three more years. He looks real good, but where are the Orioles going? Even in three years— by the time Lopez becomes something. So he's somebody also. Now, I don't think he goes to Boston or the Yankees in division. So now all of a sudden you go maybe Lopez to the Dodgers. But I think that there are some obvious choices for some bullpen. I think San Diego's bullpen uh, is pretty set. Everybody could use a bullpen arm, but I'm giving you the, the needs. It, it is a weird situation. San Diego, San Francisco is kind of set. Milwaukee looks good. St. Louis looks good. The Mets look good. Atlanta's bullpen probably could use a lift, but I do like the Minter. Will Smith's been coming around. Houston's bullpen, it's going to be okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Then you look at the middling teams. You know, a team like the White Sox, they need Hendricks back, and they'll probably be okay. Toronto can always use an arm, a bullpen arm. So Toronto, the Yankees, and Boston, the three teams in the East, throw on the Dodgers. Those are your bullpen needs. Those are the teams that are probably going to go out there and and – Make an aggressive push because they believe that they're not a big move away. They believe they are a small move away, a lefty reliever, a lefty setup guy, a guy that could come in and fill in that seventh, eighth inning. That's what they're looking at. So you do have that aspect here when you're talking about the trade deadline. Usually relievers are trade deadline kind of guys. You want to see the usage. You want to see how they're going to fare. Maybe they're only having a good two, three months, right? Maybe they're having a good stretch right now. Guys want to see that. So while the starters I expect to go kind of early, the relievers I expect to take some time. The relievers are the guys that I, I would look at the trade deadline and say, okay, we, we probably don't even have to talk about relievers for another month or so. But the starters might go quickly. The starters might kind of fall to the wayside, and they might do so in the next two weeks or so. And they might do so before I talk to you guys next week. I mean, that's the aggressive push that some of these teams are going to have. The aggressive push some of these teams need to have. Now, as far as hitters go, we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. I want to get into some hitters. I got to get into the Deshaun Watson situation as well. I'll, I'll touch on the NBA draft because I know Tim doesn't want to do it. And of course, we have game six, Tampa Bay, Colorado tomorrow. All of a sudden, I have a different feeling of this series. 
I think you should too. I think the writing is on the wall. I think Colorado now, all of a sudden, all the pressure is on the Avalanche shoulders. All of it sits on the Avalanche or going to Tampa Bay and facing the wall that is named Andre Vasilevsky. We'll get into all that more in hour number two. Take a quick timeout. See you right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Hour number two, Heatwave Sports. Tom Martin here, sitting in for Tim Ongleby by myself solo today. Tim Ongleby will join us tomorrow night. I'll be with him again. We're going over everything in the world of sports. You guys go check me out at TomBartonSports.com. TomBartonSports.com, less than $100. Get every single play that I give out in every single sport. Tomorrow I got some hockey to give you. Tomorrow I got some baseball to give you. You're going to get every single thing that I give out for 30 full days at TomBartonSports.com. And it's less than 100 bucks. I don't do upselling. I don't do secondary packages. I don't do any phone calls, nothing. It is the same thing that it's been for about 10 years. And in 10 years... You look at the numbers, guys. I have never had a losing season in any sport ever. I am documented. I am verified on multiple different sites, as well as sitting around and telling you guys all my futures plays constantly and winning you money there. So go check it out. It's TomBartonSports.com. I've been doing something different for over a decade now, and that is just winning with consistency. Also, go check me out over on my YouTube channel, Tom Barton Sports. I just do 10, 15-minute little rants about today's subjects and things that are going on. So you guys wanted to go check that out. I could use the support there as well. If you guys aren't betters or gamblers, it's not a gambling network. That's just kind of my thoughts on, on everything that we're uh, getting into in the world of sports. Uh, where we left off, and we will get into hockey tonight, and I will get into the Deshaun Watson situation. Also, guys, please uh, want to interact. It's Tom at Tom Barton Sports. I know a couple of you guys have jumped on board and talking about the hockey. I will get into hockey tonight. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for your tweets. I didn't forget them. I'm just waiting uh, to run run with it in a little while. Let's continue with the trade scenario. I just want to finish this off for the next 10 minutes or so. Then we will trade over sports. Anybody that's just joining us, Bryce Harper goes down tonight. It is the big news. The reigning MVP, broken finger. He's going to be out for an extended period of time. Philadelphia was looking to be really trade buyers, and now they may be sellers, but they may still be in the buying market. Look, Philadelphia is in a situation, I'm repeating what I said in hour number one, where if they are that aggressive team, which they have shown us, if they're that aggressive ownership, which they have shown us, that maybe they will take this step. Maybe they are going to be that team to absolutely go crazy here and say, we're going to go all in. But when you go all in, what names come to mind hitting-wise? And it's not only for them. You look up and down and you go, well... I mean, the Yankees could probably use a shortstop, but they could kind of fix it. I think their hitting is perfectly fine. I don't think that the Boston Red Sox and Toronto Blue Jays would be looking for another bat. Tampa Bay produced a lineup today. The Rays produced a lineup with four guys batting under 200 today, three of them batting in the 160 range. Now, you can tell me that they're dealing with a lot of injuries, and they are. Wander Franco is looking to come back uh, relatively quickly. Manny Margot is out. Kevin Kiermaier is out. But I think Tampa Bay could certainly use a bat. Minnesota, probably not in the in contention for a bat. But the Cleveland Guardians will be if they are buyers. White Sox, probably not. Houston's not. Texas, they're not spending any more money on a bat. The Angels certainly don't need a bat. And I don't think Seattle does. So you really have the Rays, 
who have never been aggressive to go get a bat. They would rather just go to their farm system, which usually works. Cleveland, we don't know our, our buyers. The Mets probably are not in the market for a bat. Maybe, but probably not a big bat. Atlanta feels like they've spent in the offseason, and they're probably okay. St. Louis, they could use a shortstop for sure. But outside of that, no. Milwaukee could use a pop. That's for sure. Dodgers, no, I don't think so. San Diego, nope. They're getting Tatis back. That's going to be their bat. San Francisco could always use a bat. So San Francisco, Milwaukee, we chalk up to they could always use a bat because that's what their MO has been. Cleveland, I don't know if they're serious buyers. Tampa Bay have never been buyers. So if there's a team that is looking for a bat, I don't know that Philadelphia is going to have a lot of competition for that guy. I don't think that Philadelphia is going to have a lot of competition, but I want to talk about some of the guys. Oh, you'll hear some of the repeated names. I mentioned Charlie Blackman, right? I mentioned a guy like Kyle Farmer could fill in. They've had some problems there. Ian Happ is a guy that people are going to definitely call to ask for. Brian Reynolds is a, a... Brian Reynolds should be the first call that Philadelphia makes, but I know the asking price for Brian Reynolds is going to be enormous. It's going to be enormous. The Oakland A's want to give away people. They're, they're, they will drive to your ballpark and drop the guy off on the corner. They want to give people away. I think Cedric Mullins is going to be too much, which leads me back to Kansas City, and I briefly talked about Kansas City. But Major League Baseball Network insider John Heyman said this week that the Kansas City Royals are absolutely now taking serious offers about Whit Merrifield. Now, that's pretty huge. Now, Heyman says that there's a good chance that he's going to be traded before August 2nd. I think that a team that wants Whit Merrifield is going to have to be aggressive. I don't think they're going to go get him you know, that day. I don't think Whit Merrifield's a guy that lasts. He's not having his prototypical season, and that is a concern potentially. That is a potential concern for some teams saying, okay, did he age out? Now, Whit Merrifield's somebody that is 33 years old. It's not like he's old, but a lot of his game relies upon being young. A lot of his game was on speed. And you look down the line. Look, last year, he's never going to hit a lot of home runs. 10 home runs, 74 ribbies, 97 runs. This is, by the way, on Kansas City. 40 steals hit 277. The year before that, nine home runs. In only 60 games, so he had a little bit of pop there, hit 282, 12 steals. 2019, there you go again, 16 home runs, 74 RBIs, seems about right. 105 runs on that bad team, 20 stolen bases, but he batted 302. Year before that, he batted 304, 12, 60. So I'm looking at Whit Merrifield and I'm saying, okay, if you look at Whit Merrifield over the last four years coming into this season, I'm not putting him as a 300 hitter, although he hit 300 twice. But his numbers have gone down, 304, 302, 282, 277. All right, he's probably not a 300 hitter anymore. He's probably even not a, a 285 hitter anymore. But he's not a 230 hitter, which he is this year. How about stolen bases? Well, he's had 45, 20, 12, and then j- jumped back up to 40. He's on pace for 21 this year. That's what I would expect for him. Now, a little bit more when he gets on base more. If he could elevate his average from 230 to 265 or 270, I think his stolen bases go up from 21 to 25 or 26. That's attractive to a team. His RBIs are right on par, right? 78, 60, 74, 74. He's on pace for 72. His RBIs are right on par. Power is a little bit bad this year, but what did you expect? He only had 10 last year. He's on pace for seven this year. All right. 
He's only batting 230. He's on base for about 10. He's going to give you 10 homers. He's going to give you 70-something RBIs. He's going to give you 20 or 25 steals. And he's going to, you know, look, on a bad written bad Royals team, he's got 80. He's going to get you a 90 or so runs. He also has the ability to play second base, center field, and any outfield position that you want. I think Whit Merrifield is the guy right now that should be circled on everyone's list. Now, I know Charlie Blackman fits in well. He's a one-year guy. I get it. Charlie Blackman fits in really well in a lot of teams. And you could go bargain basement, and you could go for quite a few guys. Ian Happ is very attractive as well. But Ian Happ doesn't have the track record. You know, Ian Happ is somebody that I know the Cubs want to give away, and his age is great. He's 27. Uh, but, I mean, really, I mean, Ian Happ's hit, hitting 288 this year, but his career doesn't scream just that producer right now. His career doesn't scream that he's much better than Whit Merrifield at all. He's, he's a worse player than Whit Merrifield. Charlie Blackman's two years older. Charlie Blackman has no more speed. Charlie Blackman makes some sense. He can't play center field anymore. I know that Philly wouldn't need him to be, but I think we're, Whit Merrifield's the guy. I think that's the guy that, that we're focused on here. Whit Merrifield to, Pitt, uh, to Philadelphia makes a lot of sense. Now, Brian Reynolds is the, the, the prize. And I know that the Yankees were tied to Brian Reynolds, and quite a few teams were tied to Brian Reynolds. Okay? Brian Reynolds is the prize out of Pittsburgh. He's the prize out of Pittsburgh because he's a really good defensive center fielder. He's 27 years old. He's got a pedigree behind him. Okay? Taking out 2020, which is just a hard year to evaluate. 2019, he had 314. 2021, he had 302. He's going to hit you. He had 16 home runs, 24 home runs. He's on pace this year for 29. He's going to hit you 20, 25 homers. Okay? He's, you know, on a bad team, he's going to get you 80, 90 RBIs out of Pittsburgh. Okay. He'll steal you a handful of bases, 5, 10 steals. Ryan Reynolds is who everybody wants, but the asking price, again, just like with Luis Castillo, the asking price is enormous. I think the Kansas City Royals and the Whit Merrifield going to Philadelphia makes a lot of sense tonight. If he doesn't, do I expect these other names to go? Well, I just had a hard time finding teams looking for a bat. And all of that can change with a couple of injuries. San Francisco always needs a bat. But are they going to overpay for a Brian Reynolds? Probably not. It's just their MO. They don't do that. Is Tampa Bay going to overpay for a Brian Reynolds? No. Just their MO. They, they don't overpay. Milwaukee makes a lot of sense. Milwaukee can certainly do that. You think that Pittsburgh is going to sell that within division? Doesn't make any sense, right? That, that, that doesn't all of a sudden, that kind of gets holes poked in. And then Tampa Bay. Two low teams. They've got, had dealings before. Maybe they overpay, but I don't think that Tampa Bay feels the need. I don't think that Tampa Bay looks at Brian Reynolds and says, all right, he makes us from a fourth-place team, which we are today, to a World Series champion. Now, Cleveland Guardians, the same kind of situation. I don't even know if they're buyers because of that. So I don't know about Brian Reynolds. You know, to me, he, he's not the guy. Cedric Mullins is, is another guy, like, like I said. I think Baltimore would listen to offers, but they're going to ask for the world for him. He's a leadoff hitter, which is very important. He's a almost gold glove center fielder, which is vitally important. He's at a perfect age. He's real speedy. He's every I mean, Baltimore should be building their team around him. Now, we know that they're not, but they should be. 
Now, Baltimore is a team that is looking for the future, and Cedric Mullins could be part of that future. I don't know if they're going to sign him to a long-term deal, but he certainly could be part of that future. So we go back to Whit Merrifield. Because Charlie Blackman, by the way, he's not going to San Francisco, who can use it back, because that's in division. Uh, maybe Milwaukee's a fit. You know, they like their older guys, the Andrew McCutcheons of the world, Lorenzo Kane. they just got rid of. Maybe they're a little gun-shy there. He's not a fit with Tampa Bay. I mean, Charlie Blackman, maybe Milwaukee. Maybe. So we go back to the Whit Merrifield, the situation where he can play multiple positions. Whit Merrifield in Tampa makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense for the position flexibility that they like to have, a veteran leadership. But again, Tampa Bay is just not that kind of team to do that. They they don't usually do it. I don't think that they're trading to Cleveland in their division. Again, Texas doesn't need him in that spot. The Angels aren't going to make the push. Seattle doesn't seem like a player to me. Milwaukee, Philadelphia, San Francisco. Those are the three landing spots that would make sense. All three of them do make sense. Whit Merrifield is a player that we've watched Brian Saban go after before. A veteran guy, maybe not having the greatest year that he's had, but you know the potential. You know he can play center field, which San Francisco probably can use. You know he can play second base, which Dyer Stroud has been great this year. But yeah, you can always kind of use that flexibility. San Francisco and Whit Merrifield make good bed partners. Milwaukee does as well. Milwaukee's had Colton Wong at second base. They probably play him in center field where they've had Tyrod Taylor. I mean, they've had decent players. But again, I think he's that bump up. And it gives Milwaukee a little bit of an excitement. It also gives Milwaukee what the Brewers seem to do every single trade deadline, which is dangle someone in front of them. Dangle a player in front of our fans that gets us excited about the postseason. That makes a lot of sense for the Milwaukee Brewers. But I'm going to go back to the original point and put a bow on the trade talk. The news that broke an hour before I went on is that Bryce Harper's out. If the Philadelphia Phillies have told us nothing over the last what three months, it is that they feel like they are in a win-now mode and that window is closing. They have a Bryce Harper MVP campaign. They have an ace in Zach Wheeler. They have a number two in Aaron Nola. They feel as though... They should be better than they are. They fired their manager, and they are all in on 2022. If Philadelphia is really all in, why not go after Whit Merrifield? Merrifield for right now, if Bryce Harper's not out for the year, where Merrifield right now can go play right field and go fill in for Bryce Harper. He could play center as well, but he could play the outfield. When Bryce Harper gets back, you now have a, a situation where you can switch them, play a little DH. Maybe you could play them in center field still. Maybe that's a, a situation that could happen. Maybe Whit Merrifield moves to second base because Bryson Stott isn't doing the job. Gene Segura is not the guy for you. Maybe that's the situation. Because right now, Didi Gregorius is not hitting well. Right now, Carmago isn't the, you know, the guy that's going to put you over the edge. Bryson Stott's hitting 160. Oduble Herrera is your center fielder, right? Matt Veerling is your, your, your outfielder. So an outfield of Castellanos, Merrifield, and Harper, with Schwarber as your DH, all of a sudden looks real dangerous for the playoffs. And I think Philly can still be dangerous for the playoffs 
they go make an aggressive move to stay in this thing. Philadelphia right now is nine games back. Philadelphia today, right now, is nine games back in the Mets. I don't think they were catching them with or without Bryce Harper. But Philadelphia is only two and a half games out of the wild card. If the Phillies are two and a half games out of the wild card, when Bryce Harper steps back onto the field, I think they grab that last wild card, and I think they can make some noise in the playoffs. That's what I think can happen if they are. So all you need is somebody to keep you there, somebody to keep you two and a half games back. Just play exactly how we've played. It's not asking a lot, but it's asking a lot to replace a Bryce Harper. Everyone else is going to have to step up, of course. All of that is true. But I think Whit Merrifield is the answer for the Philadelphia Phillies. Would not be surprised to see that move happen real fast. If you hear that Bryce Harper is out, you're going to hear that real fast. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. Let's get into some hockey on the other side of the break right after this on Heat Wave Sports. Third and... It's just strange. Grown men wearing jerseys with another man's name on it. Like, are you in jail? Are you his bitch? It's just... Right. Kind of like that one? That's different because it's in a frame. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. All right, guys. Welcome back. Heat Wave Sports. Tom Barton sitting solo tonight. Tim Unglesby will join us tomorrow. we got lots to talk about with Tim tomorrow. That's for sure. We got a lot to talk about tonight. Look, I, I know I went real into baseball, and I wanted to touch on a little bit of baseball uh, as well as the, the hockey. But that news with Bryce Harper broke kind of right before we got on the air, so I wanted to touch on that, touch on some trade rumors, and well, went into my tangent. And I, I'm glad you guys liked it. I, I want to say thank you to, to a couple of Twitter guys. I know it's a, they want the NHL. I know it. I know it. Um, but I I do like how. The same guys that write us on Twitter, and, and Dave, thank you very much, and Neil, thank you very much. The same guys that write us on Twitter, you know, I want to hear, uh, I want to hear NHL get very involved with Major League Base because it does. The trade deadline just brings people back into talking and, and having a conversation. So let's get let's get into the NHL because I think that this series has completely flipped on its head. I really do. You look at what is going on, and you came into the series knowing a few things. You came into the series knowing that Colorado was probably the better team. You came into the series knowing that Colorado was going to be fast, was going to be electric. They were going to be the offensive juggernaut that we've watched. They are going to pepper Vasilevsky with shots. They were going to be that team. You also knew, no matter what, Tampa Bay was not going away quietly. They would find ways to win dirty, to win ugly, to, to just win nasty, just not dirty in a in a mean way, just, you know, down in the dirt. You knew that that's the way that Tampa was going to be. You weren't going to end their quest for a three-peat, uh, you know, just blowing them out of the water. It was not going to happen. And it looked early on, maybe that would happen. It looked like early on, uh-oh, what, what's going on? This is not the Tampa Bay that we're used to. This is not the Tampa Bay that has been out here at all. You look at game one, you know, they lose 4-3 in a game they should have won, and then they came back, they lose 7-0. Oh, they said, well, watch this. <laughs> Put 6-2, lose 3-2, back in Colorado in a real tough game, and they win 3-2. That's this team. This team has been just that kind of just can't-die team. They've done it for three years, right? I mean, this team was done. Tampa looked good in game five. Right? I mean, this is where they've looked good. They are 8-2 and two 
this postseason, and Vasilevsky at home allows 2.1 goals per game in Tampa. This is the spot you didn't want to get in if you were the Avalanche. And when we broke down the series before the series began, me and Tim sat back and I said exactly that. I said, Tim, I think if you put you know, a gun to my head today, I didn't like the series. I said, I think if you put a gun to my head today, I have to take the avalanche. But I said, there's no way I could bet against Vasilevsky at home in a game six. And I, there's no way I could bet against Vasilevsky in a game seven. I just could not do it. So it was tough. I said, from a betting perspective, you have to take Tampa. You had to. Because unless you thought the Avalanche were going to go out in five, you love the, the, the odds. And this is how you bet, guys. <clears throat> I told you, if you want to take them before the series, that's fine. Because the numbers that you're going to get for game six and seven were going to be value numbers. I told you to bet after game one. I said, if the Lightning lose game one, bet the Lightning to win the series. <clears throat> I did just that. I also bet the Lightning after game two. Now, it, it, I'm not sitting here and I'm bragging, oh, hey, I, I look great. What I'm telling you is that for game six tomorrow, it's basically an even line. It's basically a flat 110. You might be getting a little bit back with, with Tampa, but it's basically an even line. I, I have Tampa Bay plus 200 and change tomorrow because I'm going to have Tampa Bay for the series. That's how you, you, you make this bet. But going back to the series itself, Vasilevsky, 1.82. Goals against at home? I mean, we're, we're looking at Vasilevsky here. Colorado is 110-120 favorite. This is a tough situation to make a bet on this game. Every instinct says Colorado's the better team. Every instinct says Colorado has shown great. Every instinct says Colorado should win this game. But you're going up against Tampa Bay at home. Tampa Bay at home is a different animal, and Vasilevsky at home is a different animal. The total opened up at six, six time in a row, and it went back to five and a half most of the series for the last three games. Over, 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 first three games, under, under the last two. If you like the Avalanche tomorrow, you probably like the over. If you like the Lightning tomorrow, you probably like the under. And that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, you are looking at this and you're going, it's tough. I will tell you this, though, the under is 9-1 in the Lightning's last 10 games when they don't get rest you know, on that one day. And at home, they have been fantastic. Vasilevsky's been fantastic. So breaking down this game is really a matter of almost your heart as opposed to your brain. Because I can give you 100 stats to tell you that Colorado's a better team. But when you start, start talking about home ice, well, that gets into it. And isn't that a heart? Isn't that an emotional kind of situation or their emotion? I mean, that's what you're talking about. All of a sudden, the Lightning have learned to sort of deal with Colorado's speed. Colorado has outshot Tampa in every single game. Every single game. Somehow or another, they haven't been able to put it away. Nate McKinnon, shot after shot after shot after shot. He is just going nuts. He doesn't have a goal in the series. He's peppering them with shots. If you want a, a prop play tomorrow, name a kid and shots on goal. But he can't get one in. Don't be betting on him to, to make a goal here, right? Vasilevsky's the guy. Vasilevsky's the guy that before this year, as I told you, take him for the Conn Smythe. I told you, take him and Makar. 
I think that that's a, a great pick right now. I mean, a great pick. You look at what he's done, and he's the difference maker. And I know that I've talked about Cooper, and we can talk about Stamkos, we can talk about everybody else for the Lightning. It's it's Vasilevsky against this offense. That's all it comes down to. I mean, that's what we know. Tampa Bay is dynamic at home, but they are just not the better team. Game five, Colorado is minus 210. Game six, they're minus 110. That'll tell you the power of being at home. I'll tell you the power of what is going on here. I mean, you, you look at how Colorado has owned the series. Yeah, they've owned the series. They have outshot them in every game, but it hasn't worked because of Vasilevsky. They have outshot Tampa Bay in every single game this series. Every single game. Nate McKinnon, shot after shot after shot after shot after shot, but nothing has gone in. Nothing's gone in. Darcy Kemper looked okay. After a bad game three, he settled down. So it's not just Vasilevsky, but it's mostly him. And that's what this is. This is the Vasilevsky, I'm proving something to you. And this is the spot that we knew before this Stanley Cup began. Before the playoffs began. We sat down and we talked about exactly this. You know, I'm a Ranger fan and I talked about Igor. Before that series, I said, you know, the problem is, is that how do you bet against Vasilevsky in a closeout game after what we've watched for three years? How can you dare bet against him? How can you dare think that he's going to go home? We spoke about this. Me, you, Tim, we all talked about it, okay? You guys were listening. You're part of the conversation. We spoke about it before the playoffs. I said, there's going to be a point, and this is the point. Here it is, guys. There's going to be a point where someone's going to have to either knock Vasilevsky out of a game at home or it's going to be a closeout game seven. Here it is, guys. What the Colorado Avalanche are faced with doing tomorrow, and they are the better team, and they've had the better series. But what they're going to have to do tomorrow is slay the beast. In order to beat the man... Or be the man, you're going to have to beat the man. I can't believe I butchered that. In order to be the man, you got to beat the man. Well, that's it. To quote Ric Flair, this is it. Colorado, if you want to end all of those years that you've had, year after year of coming up short, year after year of just having a problem, right? Year after year of thinking that you deserve the win and didn't get it, you're going to have to rip this repeat out of Vasilevsky's hands. So, yeah, there are a lot of other players here. There's a lot of guys that we could throw into the mix. And there's a lot of guys that you could turn around and you could say, okay, you know what? Look, it could be this. It could be a Stamco show. It could be that. This could be the McKinnon breakout. Yeah, it could be a lot of things. But we all know what it's going to be. And what it's going to be, guys, it's flat out going to be Vasilevsky against the shot after shot after shot, just like it's been in game one, two, three, four, and five. And in order to beat Vasilevsky, you're going to have to do so at home, in Tampa, in front of those fans. Because the last thing Colorado wants is a game seven in Colorado. And I'll tell you what, look, tomorrow Colorado is the favorite 
Minus, they opened up at minus 120. I've seen 110 in some spots. It, it, they are a slight favorite. And I know that sports betting doesn't permeate athletes, right? I mean, that's what everybody always says. I can tell you, I asked Rashad Jennings. Rashad Jennings is my co-host on Sports Garden Network, guys, right? And I asked Rashad Jennings, former running back for Jacksonville, former running back for the Giants. I asked him point blank, Rashad, you know, do you guys know? Do you guys know the spread? Do you guys know the number? He said, absolutely they do. And they use it as fuel. You don't think that John Cooper, he probably doesn't have to tell his team, but you don't think that John Cooper is going to look at his team, look at Vasilevsky, and look at Stamkos, and, and look at Kucherov, and look at this team and say, you're a two-time champion. You're coming off a win in Colorado. And they have you as underdogs in your own building. You don't think that's going to fire up the Tampa Bay Lightning guys, you don't think that's going to give a little extra edge? You know, you know Vasilevsky deep down wanted to beat Igor. You know he wanted to stick it to him just a, just a little bit. You know he wanted to. And, and, and these guys, I'm not calling them petty. It's not petty. It's a matter of there's that little extra incentive. And here it is. So you're looking at this and, and I go, okay, I think that Tomorrow is all about Vasilevsky and the shots on goal. I mean, that's where it's going to be. Well, game seven is going to be the same thing. And let's talk about game seven here. Because if there is a game seven, it's in Colorado. You're in the avalanche land, man. You are there. You got to be thinking, okay, Colorado's the team now, right? I mean, McKinnon's eventually got to score. Al McCarty, he's, he's going to make sure, Right. But here we go again. Same question that I asked before the series. The same question that I've gone out there and basically asked time and time again. I'm asking again here. Can you sit back and bet against Andre Vasilevsky in a closeout game seven? Can you think? Forget about betting-wise, even if you're not a better. When I say bet, I don't mean walk up to the counter and actually make money, monetary bet. Although, that's what I do. I'm talking about can you really count him out, count this team out? The best coach that we've seen in hockey in decades, best coach in hockey right now by far, the best goalie that we've seen in hockey of this generation, you can say? How long does a generation go? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll say in the last decade or so, sure. Are you going to count him out in game seven? Are you going to? Are you going to give him money? No, well, Colorado's going to be favored again. Colorado will probably be about 140, 150 favorite. And he closed out game seven. So we go back to how I told you guys to bet this series. You, you have Colorado plus money. I mean, you have uh, Tampa Bay plus money because you did the smart thing. You followed it. I don't feel comfortable with Tampa Bay tomorrow either. I see shot after shot after shot, no matter how good Vasilevsky is. All those shots have got to take its toll. All those shots eventually have to kind of come back and hurt them. It has to. Tampa Bay can't keep living like this. They can't continuously keep living this kind of, of game. They, they can't do it night after night after night. But they are doing it. They are doing it every single game. They're doing it over and over. So while I sit here and tell you it can't happen, I'm also really, really, really aware, 
that they've been doing it. And, and that's really what we're talking about here. When will those shots go in? That's what we're talking about. Those shots that they are peppering Vasilevsky with, will one of them get by? Will one of them sneak past? It's all you need, right? Are, 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 we, are we starting to talk about a game that you start to like the under? Are we talking about a game where you're starting to look at the under and you're saying, makes a little sense? Now, coming into the series, at full disclosure, I said, guys, if they set the number at six, I'll, I'll play the over every game. But we had over, over, over. Easy, easy overs. Over, over, over. I was feeling good. It's been under, under the last two. I'm looking at, if I'm doing anything tomorrow, I'm probably going under. I think it's going to be a great game six. And, you know, one of the things that we did ask as a collective hockey mindset, we all sat back and asked, it's been a really good playoff, right? It's been a really good playoff. Can you please, please give us a really good Stanley Cup final? If it ends tomorrow, guys, it's been a pretty good Stanley Cup final. I know it started off. Look, the first game was awesome. I, you can't get past that. So coming out of a really good playoff, we had a great first game. Overtime game. Tampa probably should have won. They took the loss at home. 4-3. Boom. Game number two was, uh-oh. Avalanche are going to blow this thing out. Then Tampa Bay blew them out. Oh, okay. It's back to a series. Oh, here comes the Avalanche. Well, now 3-2, 3-2. It's been a really good Stanley Cup final. So no matter what happens tomorrow, it's been a really good Stanley Cup final. But I don't think we're done tomorrow. I don't think we're done tomorrow because I need to see it. I need to see the head of the dragon, right? Now, remember in the olden days, I want to see his head. Bring it back to me because I don't believe it. I don't believe it. That's why they used to say it, guys. Because I need to see the slain dragon. And in this case, the slain dragon is the Tampa Bay Lightning. But more specifically, in this case, the slain dragon, the slain dragon is really Andre Vasilevsky. Andre Vasilevsky in a closeout game. Andre Vasilevsky at home. Andre Vasilevsky that just keeps getting peppered with shot after shot after shot after shot. Keeps turning him away. Keeps turning him away from the Colorado knight in shining armor, McKinnon. If Colorado scores tomorrow early, it will not deter Tampa Bay. It's usually that that, that first goal you go, uh-oh. They're not going to get rattled at home. They're not going to get weary at home. Vasilevsky's not going to worry about it. They could score twice in the first period. He can say, okay, I'm going to pitch a shutout from here on out. But conversely, guys, Darcy Kemper gives up that first goal in loud Tampa. Looking across the ice at Vasilevsky and knowing what he's up against, they will get a little agitated. They will get some nerves. If somehow or another Tampa goes up 2-0, turn the game off. Colorado's not coming back from that. Just the emotional state. So we go into tomorrow where somehow we live in a world where the best coach is playing at home the best goalie in the league is playing at home. The team going for the three-peat is at home, and they have no pressure on them. We go into a weird world tomorrow where Tampa Bay 
going for a three-peat with everything that we have to know about the Tampa Bay Lightning, are underdogs at home. They're underdogs at home with no pressure on them. Guys, I look at that and I say, that's a dangerous team. That is a dangerous spot, a dangerous situation. And Colorado, the pressure's on you. Colorado, now we get to see, are you, are you champions? Can you rip that championship? Can you literally rip that cup out of the hands of Tampa Bay and Andre Vasilevsky? Because that's what you're up against. You're not up against just the Tampa Bay Lightning tomorrow. You're up against legacy. You're up against dominance. You're up against a lot of things that are outside forces that you could tell me that they don't feel it, but they certainly do. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back, I want to touch on the Deshaun Watson stuff just for a moment because there has been some developing stories. I want to give you my take on that as well. All that and more right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Tom Martin from TomMartinSports.com here. Sitting here for the last uh, 15 minutes or so. Got a little hockey talk in there, and I, I, I love that you guys are asking. You guys can write me. We do have 15 minutes, and we'll be back tomorrow night. Myself and Tim Ungles will be breaking down all of Game 6 as well as everything that happens in Major League Baseball throughout the day. I want to get his take on the Bryce Harper situation as well. And I do like a lot of you guys are responding. Please make sure you check me out at Tom Barton Sports over on uh, YouTube. And Tom Barton Sports is the Twitter handle. I do like the interaction that we are getting tonight. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of these. Somebody asked me, what is my score prediction for tomorrow? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I... I uh, I hate giving I hate giving predictions on games where I'm telling you it's going to be close. I lean the Lightning, obviously, and I would put money on the Lightning just if, you know if I didn't already have money on them. And I lean the under. You know, I don't think it's a three-two game. Um, but yeah, all right, you know what? Three-three-two games in a row. That that's my score prediction. Uh, I, as far as the cons, my score before the before the playoffs began, I said this on the air. Not only did I say it here. I said this on Sports Garden Network. Um, I, I said it multiple times. I took two cons my place. Usually, this is what I do. I try to kind of back myself up. So I have Vasilevsky as a cons my, and I have Makar as a cons my. One from each. I'm getting almost two to one on Makar, and I'm getting six to one on on Vasilevsky. Six to one. It's actually five to one in chase. That was it was unbelievable. The, the, the number was why would I not take that? So that's where I sit with the cons my. Um, also people are asking me, what do I think the Mets are going to do? Uh, you know, I got two of these, two of these out there, um, today, which if somebody asked me before the show, can you touch on the Mets trade rumors? And, you know, I don't know what the Mets need to do depending on what happens. Look, Scherzer's coming back. He had a good minor league start today. So he's coming back. He's going to look real good. Um, I expect him to be hit the ground running and be perfectly fine. I think a lot comes back with DeGrom. What is DeGrom's arm going to look like? If DeGrom can't come back, and, you know, we do have until August 2nd. If DeGrom can't come back, the Mets got to go after Amantas. They have to go after, I mean, they, they, they got to make a push. They got to go after Castillo, Amantas, and they have to go hard. You know, we talk about going all in. DeGrom's a free agent at the end of this year. There's no guarantee he's coming back. I mean, I think he comes back. There's no guarantee. And you take over this team, you're the best team in the National League, 
it's kind of World Series or bust for the Mets. You can't go into the, the postseason with Taiwan Walker, who I don't even know he's going to be pitching in September because he hasn't pitched a lot of innings. David Peterson, again, hasn't pitched a lot of innings. Can you count on him for big innings late? Carlos Carrasco, constant injury, guys. Missed the last couple of years. No. So are you feeling okay going into the postseason with Max Scherzer, your one, and Chris Bassett, your two? Honestly, that's what I'm asking. Chris Bassett's got over four ERA. I mean, he's fine. He's a fine four. You can live with him as a three. Now, Carlos Carrasco looked decent there. He's got a four and a half ERA. Right? David Peterson looks okay, but he's never pitched that far into the game. Taiwan Walker looks good, but how many years is this guy's going to give you? Trevor Williams? Oh, are we serious here? So you went from, you know, Scherzer to Grom, one, two, and then kind of needing a guy like a Bassett or a Carrasco to give you, you know, big innings late. I think the Mets are going to need a pitcher. I know everybody wants them to go get a, a bat. I think they're going to need a pitcher. So that's if DeGrom can't come back. They might need a pitcher anyway. Oh, by the way. So, okay, thank you for the questions. I do want to touch on this Deshaun Watson news. Um, so Adam Scheffler is reporting that Deshaun Watson is going to have a hearing before the NFL and NFL Players Association, uh, Sue L. Robinson, and it's going to start on Tuesday. The thought was originally, and I, I expressed this concern, the thought was, well, you know, what exactly is going to be the suspension? Because it's going to be a suspension. I mean, just the way that the NFL is, the way that the Players Association is, the way that Goodell kind of has to flex his muscles a little bit, there's going to be something. I thought it was going to be a slap on the wrist. When I say slap on the wrist, I said six to eight weeks. Um, if they went to 10, Goodell would have to deal with the Players Association. That's what I imagine. Now he paid off 20 of the 24 girls, and he's gone out there, and he's, uh, I don't want to say paying anybody off as admitting a guilt, but it doesn't look good. He's gone from I did nothing wrong to happy endings or not, nothing wrong, right? I mean, he's gone from I did nothing wrong at all to his lawyer literally saying happy endings are not illegal. All right, this is where we've gone. So Adam Scheffler is reporting that they're looking for a lengthy, quote-unquote, lengthy suspension. That's what the league wants. What is a lengthy suspension? Now, NFL Players Association is going to defend Watson. They're going to say he was never indicted. They're going to say it's uh, excessive. They're going to they're going to go deep into it. Um, now, what is excessive is, is a question mark. Look, I say give Deshaun Watson one game for every girl that, that has a problem. Oh, that's 24. That's like a two-year suspension. I'm okay with that. Rumors have said that the league is going to try to suspend him for the entire season. There's others that said indefinite can happen, meaning he doesn't play anymore. Now, I will say this. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. The Browns are a stupid organization, but I don't think that they're, they're that dumb. He's the NFL's highest paid player. The highest paid player in the league, guys. I don't see him missing the entire season, uh, but it's starting to seem like it's likely. Hey, I'm on board with it, but I thought a slap on the wrist. I thought that they were going to do a kind of a six-game uh, kind of thing. If he gets suspended for the year, the backtracking 
that the Browns are going to have to do on Baker Mayfield is going to be mind-boggling. It, it's going to be it's going to be one of those things to watch and those those oh my goodness moments. It's going to be ridiculous to watch them kind of backtrack on Baker Mayfield after what they've done to this guy. So we're going to know Deshaun Watson's fate kind of this week. You know, Tuesday it starts the hearings. These hearings don't usually drag on. Yeah, NFL wants to get this over and done with. Put this behind them. Why are we still talking about it constantly? That's the NFL's thought. They don't want to deal with the headache anymore. I don't blame them. So here's the thing. If he gets suspended for the year, what you're going to watch is you're going to watch the futures market for the Browns tank, absolutely crumble all over the betting board. It's going to go nuts the opposite way. And I'm telling you now, I don't know if they can repair things with Baker Mayfield, but he's under contract. I know Jacoby Brissett holding up the jersey is going to get the, the, the laughs and stuff. If you put a healthy Baker Mayfield back on that Browns team with something to prove, with the Browns team as is right now, I don't think it's much of a difference betting-wise than Deshaun Watson. I really don't. I didn't, th- uh, I didn't think the Browns would win the Super Bowl anyway. I didn't think the Browns would win the division. I thought the Browns were a fringe playoff team with Deshaun Watson. Without him, you give me Baker Mayfield, I think they're a fringe playoff team. But if that market crashes, I, I might be going the other way. I've been Browns under since, since last season. Everybody loving the Browns. Uh, Browns under, Browns under, Browns under, Browns under. Everything was Browns under to me. I might be the other way. I might be I might be a Browns over kind of guy. I might be I be, might be wearing a Baker Mayfield jersey. <laughs> I might be. It's possible. I'm not going to wear it for a set jersey. I might be, just because I, I want to see Deshaun Watson kind of suffer a little bit. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Like I said, Tim Unglesby will be back tomorrow. We're going to have uh, the full two hour show. Go over Game Six, potentially break down a Game Seven the Stanley Cup. What's better than a Game 7? Nothing. Nothing's better than Game 7. Game 7 Stanley Cup. Stopping for a 3 beat. If you have no skin in the game tomorrow, I know most of Vegas hates Colorado anyway, but if you have no skin in the game tomorrow, you got to be rooting for Tampa. You have to be rooting for Tampa to kind of extend the series. So that's going to do it for me, guys. Uh, listen to me tomorrow morning. I actually have our Rotomill fantasy expert on, so we do a little fantasy talk tomorrow morning with Chuck T on SGN Network. Go check out everything at sportsgarten.com, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag SGN on all the social media accounts. Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube. Come on, guys. I need your support there. All you got to do is watch the video. Go check it out. Press a like button. Comment there as well. TomBartonSports.com is where I really do need you guys. TomBartonSports.com, less than 100 bucks. Every single play that I give out, every single day, every single sport. Went 2-0 today. I have three plays up for tomorrow. Usually get one to two plays a day, three pack going up for tomorrow for Sunday afternoon. Everybody out there, enjoy your Sunday. Thank you to Ryan on the other side of the glass. Outstanding job today producing. I will talk to you tomorrow night. For everybody here, everybody there, have a very good night, Las Vegas. See you tomorrow.